What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chat. This is episode number 140. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Oh, dude, we got to just get right to our special guest. We can't we can't do this any longer. We bring you Pro Tour winner, Reed Duke. Reed, let, hop, hop on. Come on, man. Oh, what's that? Can't make it? Something else to do? Got to go be cool somewhere else? Epic clapbacks on Twitter? Yeah, okay. I, so, sorry, he's not going to be able to make it this time. <laughs> you know... For the listener's benefit, you know, Ben never tells me what his like <laughs> intro bits are. And it, when he said guest, I was like, oh God, where's this going? <laughs> Reed made sense. And we could probably get him on the show sometime, but that unfortunately we don't have him incredible. this time. <laughs> uh, hopefully sometime down the line. That said, today we are going through something of a recurring episode. This week is our one rare roundup. So we're going to go through a bunch of rares and mythics that we really appreciated or were really disappointed in uh, throughout the format. But before we do, of course, our usual housekeeping, check out the Discord if you're not already there. It's the best place to be to chat with us and the rest of the Chaficionado community. And this introduction of the scoreboard thing has been really popular. People are loving it. So even if Ben is actually at the top of the list, <laughs> there was a, there's a good string there where someone was... Uh, shout out to Koga, who was uh, actually neck and neck with you for a little while there. So we may need to come up with a with a prize for anybody who tops you in a given uh, season. So that would be pretty sick. Anyway, the link to the Discord's in our episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. Again, huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week. It's because of you that we are able to continue doing this week in and week out. So thank you so much. We really can't thank you enough. Perks over there include things like our Draft Doctor series, stickers, show notes, our pre-show recordings, and our Draft Chaff Hero cards signed by us and sent to you. Check that out again at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. All right, Ben, on to our crack draft type thing. It looks like we've got a pack two pick two here. What's what's going on? Yeah, this was a this is a bit of a weird one. So let me set the scene with what we've got in our, our deck so far. Uh, pack one went pretty well. Uh, picked up two slaughter singers early, but then didn't see much green. That, that's the uh, green white vector uncommon. Picked up three mandible justiciar, uh, two zealous conviction, an exuberant fuseling, a dune mover. So a nice early game package, kind of in the artifact vector, but kind of white. And those convictions care about poison, so corrupted specifically. Moving up the curve. Uh, We've got Amir and Bardish, an indoctrination attendant, and an orthodox enforcer. The, the enforcer is the uh, plus two, plus zero oh, if you have an artifact, four, four. The attendant is the three, four that makes a one, one if you bounce something to your hand. Uh, pack two, pick one. I opened Urabrask's Forge. And, you know, at this point, I was functionally mono white. I just slammed the Forge. You can't really pass that card. It is so good in the aggressive decks. And uh, now I'm left with a very interesting pack two, pick two. So, again, I have the strong white artifact. Uh, vector already present slam the forge i've got a fusing in red but i also do have those two slaughter singers so here in pack two pick two here's my pack uh we've got thirsting roots uh there's a, a branch blight stalker some green cards that are pretty interesting uh the, the stalker particularly would pair pretty well with the singers there is a saw blade scamp love it love this card pretty great uh, there's a furnace strider also a good red top end the one that, the four or five that gets itself haste now, there's an Annihilating Glare in black. Strong, but probably not enough to make me want to swap off. Uh, there's some blue cards that I really am not even going to look at. They're, it's the cat and the, uh, the the bad Snapcaster Mage thing. There's another Indoctrination Attendant, which I think is a pretty valid pickup. Uh, the, the 4 drop 3-4. There is a Basilica Shepherd. I love this card. This card is so cool. Three, uh, five mana, 3-3 three, three Flyer, make two Mites. Now, those are our commons. There's uh, another Slaughter Singer in the uncommon slot. There's a Serum Core Chimera that we'll ignore. There's a plated onslaught 
which is the uh, affinity for artifacts plus two plus one uh, instant, notably. And then we also got past a Vran Executioner Thane. What do you make of this? Because at this point, I, I have these two Slaughter Singers, which are obviously super strong and do get better in multiples. Uh, but then I have this this forge that I just opened. Notably, I did not get past green cards in pack one. Yeah. So when I'm looking at this, there's a, there's a there are a couple of ways you can go about this, right? The, the, on the one hand, I think to myself, let's just stay open. There aren't very many. There really aren't any red cards. I feel I need to take here. Scamp and Furnace Strider are both great cards. Happy to have in literally every red deck. But mm -hmm. I don't take those here I, I probably will see more of them and we are still kind of mono white we're playing forge pretty much undoubtedly uh, and the fusling is great but i would be probably trying to take just white cards here that said the third slaughter singer is great but my thought when with taking a third slaughter singer is as you said we didn't see any green in pack one which means we're not going to see any green in pack three unless things really change here in pack two for the rest of the table we may see some green here in pack two but then that means in pack three, we're going to be pretty much stuck to opening white cards or, ho or getting past white cards. And so what I'm thinking of is, do I think I'm going to get a depth, enough depth of, um, of green cards in pack two to justify playing a green deck? Or do I think I'm going to see red in parts of this pack and then again in pack three where I can kind of build up uh, a solid red white deck here? Because I don't know the answer to that question, I'm thinking let's just take white cards and we don't have... Uh, bad choices here in terms of white cards, right? The Basilica Shepherd, the Indoctrination Attendant, and the Plated Onslaught are all cards I would love to have in a deck like this. Mm -hmm. I think I would also take the number of artifacts I've got into consideration here when when going with the Plated Onslaught. We don't really have a ton. We do have the Justice Years, uh, three of them, and the Mirrodin. Mirrodin, I keep wanting to say that. The Mirin Bardish um, to make that Onslaught a bit cheaper, and we can generate mites and such with the Attendant, and there are other ways to do it. Also, there's that Dune Mover. So the Onslaught's probably going to be a pretty cheap card in this deck, but we're not really like a go-wide deck yet, and so the Onslaught goes down a little bit for me. I'd rather pick up something like the Basilica Shepherd first and then hope to wheel the Onslaught or maybe get a different one passed to us. Um, the second Attendant is, is an option, but we don't have a ton that we're happy to bounce here with it, so I'm not really too worried about getting that. What I'd love is to get the Basilica Shepherd, wheel the, the Attendant, or get past another Attendant, and then kind of have the nice uh, Basilica Shepherd-Attendant kind of combo thing going. Um, yeah, I think I'm on the Basilica Shepherd here. Yep, I agree. That is what I ended up taking. Uh, and... I will say this draft didn't work out the best. I finished 3-3, but I just couldn't really put together a good vector. It's also, <laughs> should mention, red-white artifacts isn't a super supported vector, and some of the cards you got to play are not very uh, strong vector-wise. I mean, I ended up playing one of those orthodoxy enforcers that's just not super where you want to be in the set. Uh, that being said, I, the Shepherd was good, and I, I thought it was the right pick, given that I had three Justiciar, and... You know, being able to curve the Justiciar into something like Charge of the Mites, which I actually took next pick, uh, or uh, the, the Shepherd to just turn these into 4-3 lifelinkers. These things, you can't race them on the ground, especially in multiples, especially with the ability to make multiple tokens in a turn. Uh, it turned out that I may have been supposed to be in red-green after all, which, you know excess of, of riches here, but I think the packs just didn't really shake out the way I wanted them this time. Uh, pack three, I got past Amiglaz which really hurt. Oof. Yeah, that's so that told me like, I've ever hmm. seen one. Yeah, I wonder what the person to my right was up to all along. But, you know, it's hindsight. Uh, I think it would have been cool to have a triple slaughter singer one, but, uh, you know, just getting triple slaughter singer by themselves, it doesn't necessarily turn your deck 
good. <laughs> and if I had even like one or two crawling choruses out of the, like trying to, to go super in on that, but uh, maybe would have taken the stalker here. I guess if the singer hadn't been in the pack, but no, I just wasn't seeing that happening. So I tried the Redwood Artifact Vector. It didn't really work. Urbrask's Forge was still a banger. All right, on to our Teferi Tibble. This is a Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So Ben, kick us off. What's going on? I'm going to start with the low, uh, my Tibble, and that's that I forgot my lunch today, <laughs> which is you not great. Fool. Uh, yeah, I forgot my lunch today, and usually that's no big deal because we have a little teacher cafe, which is nice. They, they usually have like a, a chef in there, and it's, it's pretty great, to be honest. Uh, it was closed today due to staffing shortages. Uh, so I could have still gone into the, the student cafeteria and bought lunch. But I wasn't feel that. <laughs> yeah, and then you're that, the teacher who's in the the student cafeteria buying lunch, and everybody's yeah, gonna see you doing that and stuff. Yeah, and and let's be honest, it's not you know student lunch isn't quite good. <laughs> yeah, is it even fair to call it lunch? No, yeah, no, and like my school, I, I love it there. It's they've got some good stuff, but uh, you wouldn't catch me dead in the student lunch line. So uh, I opted to just sit back. Go hungry a little bit, call it intermittent fasting or something like that. And <laughs> uh, I did eat before starting the show. So uh, only only wait until 4.30 to have my last first meal of the day. <laughs> it's no big deal. Uh, my other tibble was we kind of scrubbed out of the PTQ. It wasn't our best performance, right? Yeah, I mean, that's my tibble as well. I'll just throw it out there since, since we have the same one. Um, part of it was that we scrubbed out. I opened a decent deck. Um, we're going to get into details on that in a minute, so I'm not going to go through it now, but, um, part of it was also just that like, it was supposed to be, it was nine rounds of Swiss before cutting to top eight, which meant we were going to be there until like midnight if we made it through all nine rounds of Swiss and then had mm-hmm. to do a draft and a top eight run if we were going to make it that far. So we pretty quickly started to like just convince ourselves that we didn't even want to be there that late. And so that kind of, I would expect that negatively impacted play performance, but I know you weren't happy with your deck, so that also impacts things there like who wants to play nine plus rounds with a deck you don't like yeah no that this was i knew pretty much after opening my pool that this was not the type of deck that that, the top eights i mean to to have a good ptq run you really need to get a little lucky and be good uh i was maybe less than half of those things this weekend (laughs) because uh it, it was well let's just say this I opened a mirror and safe house in my pool and the person across from me who was deck checking me immediately was like, oof, <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> uh, I will say I, I got to crack packs uh, next to uh, Shuhei Nakamura, which was pretty cool. Um, he was just sitting next to me. and I noticed a bunch of people were uh, like talking to him and asking him things. And I hadn't even really I was so focused on my pool at first. I didn't really notice. And then I was like, oh, my God, that's that guy has more PT top eights than most people. <laughs> He has more PT top eights than most people get PT invites. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, my Teferi this week, uh, Philly was awesome. We're going to talk about this a little more, but uh, some of the spoilers that came along with it, pretty great. Go read Duke. I mean, w- what a what a great guy to win the Pro Tour. I loved watching the top eight. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it felt just like old times. You know, it, it was it was classic. They had Marshall and Xi'an in the booth. And oh, man, like that that's good stuff. Also, some really sick high-level magic. Uh, and Pioneer, too. Some sick decks, um, some really good gameplay, and it was just a lot of fun to watch. Uh, also, I've got a three-day week, which is nice because it's my birthday this week, so I'm excited to have a relaxing short week. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, it was really awesome to watch the PT. I thought coverage was really, really well done. Um, 
I do wish they would twist the camera back to having the side-by-side view that we are used to from the old PTs. But yeah, hey, yeah. if that's, if that's my biggest complaint about the coverage and the, and the production quality of the show, then I think they're in a great spot. So a uh, really, really strong effort throw just quick shout out to Huey, even though he's likely not listening, but <laughs> for those who don't know, Huey Jensen is kind of running the whole like, uh, organized play revamp. So, um, think he did a fantastic job getting things off to a good start here in 2023 was really happy to see reduke piloting a deck like is it creativity because that is a deck that i love uh very very much a me deck and uh, you can play it on arena too that win. yeah yeah it's pretty much all there yeah um, instead of world spine worm you have to use locust god and sage of the falls instead of xenagos and uh the, the worm but so it's a little less cool but i did actually lose to it playing pioneer yesterday nice um, otherwise my, other, my other Teferi is just that I also have some time off. I took, uh, last Friday and this Monday off. So I had a, a little bit of a long weekend, uh, which was great for the, the PTQ and, uh, just getting to see family and such. So, um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool week On to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Nathan in the discord and Nathan asks if the two of you were challenged to a team draft showdown, who would you have joined you as your teammate? So Oof. I'm assuming we are not on the same team here then. Because team drafts usually two people, isn't it? It's three. Yeah. So it's Oh, it is a, three. Okay. So it's the two of us. We're picking somebody else or are we picking two other people? So we'd be picking one other person, I, I think. So this team draft is really cool. So it's a six player draft and the teams sit uh like in between each other. Alternating, so, yeah. Yeah, alternating. Uh so there's these really cool elements of do you hate draft the card because you suspect the person to your right is in a color or do you not because you're hoping your friend on your team is in that color and that they can't afford to hate draft it before it gets to them? Just really cool draft aspect. Uh, we should try that with a draft trap cube sometime. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, but anyway, I, I think we could have some ideal picks, right? If, if this was a if this was the pro tour and you told us you get to pick any person on Earth to be your teammate, uh, I mean, immediately people that snap to mind would be like Reed Duke or or Ben Stark, um, LSV, obviously. Yeah, LSV was first in my mind as well. Uh, if we're going to aim more towards like our, our sphere, our community, um, I think it'd be pretty cool for Sirkovitz to hop on with us. That, that'd be a fun one. Yeah, so there's a tricky aspect to team drafts as well, and that's... I don't know if any of, if, uh, Ben, I think you have, but listener, I'm not sure if you've played the game called Codenames, but Codenames is a sort of a card game, board game, hybrid sort of thing. But the key to that game is knowing your teammates. If you don't know your teammates very well, you often won't do very well in that game. And I think team draft is a lot the same. You kind of have to be thinking how your your partners or your teammates are going to be drafting and what they're going to be planning to do, whether they're going to be passing those things or hate drafting or whatever. Um, you also kind of need to know your opponents in that way as well. So there's a lot of extra sort of meta knowledge you need. And so I would want to pick somebody if we're picking from our sphere, I'd want to pick somebody that we either have really good rapport with or just know fairly well. Um, mm-hmm. Sirkovitz would be great just from a drafting perspective and he he's knowledgeable about the game and we've talked to him a handful of times. So I feel like we know him a bit, but um, I'm not actually sure who I would want to pick. Cause I don't have too many like real life friends who play the game. <laughs> Yeah, uh, for those that want more experience just with team draft, but maybe it's hard to fire one. Uh, I'd recommend watching the Lords of Limited versus um, Limited Resources uh, team draft challenge that they do every set. It's a lot of fun, and the team draft element of it is really cool. All right, on to our main topic. Well, our sub main topic: uh, the MagicCon Philly roundup. 
first of all, just super awesome. It was great to be out in, in public at like a big event again. Um, I quickly realized that I don't really like the all day tournament thing anymore. I think I've outgrown it. Not to say I don't like the convention. I would totally just go and hang out and play side events all day and, and do that sort of thing. But the PTQ just didn't really scratch the itch I thought it was going to. So it's good information to have. But otherwise, the event was totally awesome. I might say the opposite. I smelled blood a little bit. Getting that, like, just kind of sitting down in my first round with a deck that I wasn't super happy with. I played well and beat an opponent who also played very well. And that that's that 1-0 start, I felt that I was like, oh, man, like it's not outside the realm of possibility for me to do well at one of these things. And uh, I think that'll inspire me to keep trying this in the future. I don't know how many PTQs I'm going to get to because those don't pop up all that often. But, you know, it, you're going to be hard pressed to have me sitting out from one of these arena opens or arena qualifiers from this point onward. I, uh, maybe even like local RCQs expect me to start showing up a little more often. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe another arena open down the line. Hopefully. I don't know. I did it once. I can probably do it again. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, just to, just to clarify, I, I personally am meaning that to, for the, the really big in-person events, definitely going to be trying my hand at opens and and some of the arena events, but just sitting through nine plus rounds of a, of an event is not something I have in me anymore, but I'm happy to root for you doing it, man. Get, (laughs) get, get some draft chap up in the, uh, up in the PT. I'd love it. Yeah. I think maybe it's more, um, I think maybe a better skill is knowing when to drop, you know, because I think we dropped mm. at a good time. And I think maybe if I had gone like two or three more rounds and then like kind of scrubbed out, then that's just a waste of time because I could have been hanging right. out with you playing other side events, which was awesome. Just to shout out some of the things that were there. We just were wandering past cosplayers, random celebrities in the community. All the artists were there were amazing. Just, I mean, we, we just saw pro players wandering the halls. We bumped into Hulu, which is cool. Uh, I mean, we, we hung out with him for a good amount of the event, too. We got some great pictures that the Discord saw. Uh, he even let Zach try playing against him with Dan Dan, which is such a... I'll, I'll let you talk about that. Yeah, Dan Dan was sweet. I had never really heard about it before somehow. Um, so, listener, if you don't know what it is, it's essentially just a, a mono blue deck that's full of lands and the card Dan Dan and, and ways to draw cards and manipulate the top of the deck. And you and your opponent share a deck and your goal is to kill them with Dan Dan. Um, but Dan Dan's essentially what, like a two mana four four or three mana four four, but you you it dies if you don't control islands. And, and there's ways to turn off that ability. And exactly. Like turn on other things. It's it's as blue as blue gets. Like it, there's nothing more blue than a Dan Dan deck. Yeah, it was really fun. Definitely an interesting part of the brain. You've got to got to work to to do well in that. Um, who Call me when they have me? a mono red one, like a mono green one or something. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, it was really cool. Uh, awesome to see all the celebrities. We got to meet Mark Rosewater. That was we nuts. met him. <laughs> we signed stuff from Morrow. Just he was just in the tournament hall. We bumped him in, into him while we were like walking into a room and we got a picture with him. Man, that that was all incredible. Uh, way way more enjoyable than opening a mirror and safe house in a PTQ. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but hey, you made some value back <laughs> within the first three minutes of getting to the event. Oh man, this is nuts. So we walk in. Uh, we see there's a free play area and we see that there's these like uh, the love sacks that have been <laughs> kind of going around, kind of wandering over looking at those. Now, I noticed that there is by this free play area, there's a, a cardboard box underneath the, the sign that says free play and a big free sign on this cardboard box. It's like a usual, I don't know, like 2000 card box. And it says free. And it's like mostly all basic lands I can just see. And then some random draft chaff piled in. 
And then something catches my eye. Uh, I think it was a concealed courtyard, the black, white, flat, fast land. And I'm like, that doesn't seem like it belongs in a free bin. So I go over and I look at it and there's a stack of rare lands in there. In this free bin, I pick them up. It's like a hundred cards or so. And I'm like, I'm looking around. I'm like asking Zach and like kind of out to the general area. I'm like, are these just here? Like, are these free? Is this a morality test? And I was like, is this a hidden camera prank show? Like, what is going on? Why would someone leave like hinterland harbors and caves of Coilos? Like, these aren't good lands, but they're not bad. And like for someone that builds a lot of commander decks, these are pretty useful. So I grabbed them. They were free. <laughs> and I, I didn't expect them to be worth much. I mean, why would someone leave them? Uh, but I put the value into a calculator. They were like about $90 or so, $100 worth of rare lands. And I don't know what to do with this information. Like anyone that, that I know in person that wants these, please take some. Help me spread the wealth back out. Let me redistribute this <laughs> out, out to the players because there's a, a bunch of pain lands, a bunch of random slow lands. If you play a bunch of casual commander, just hit me up. I'll give you some. Yeah, I'll probably be taking some of those for my new drawer deck, but uh, we, we can talk about that later. Yeah. And uh, one last thing, just seeing this high-level Pioneer gameplay kind of inspired me to get back into it on Arena. I've been playing the Boros Heroic deck, which I still really enjoy, but I did try it at FNM once and just got really wrecked by the local meta. It wasn't good. That being said, I don't know why I didn't just build White Weenies to start with. Like, that is the most me deck it gets. I'm, I'm so in for White Weenies, especially humans. Love it. Uh, so, yeah, actually, last night, while I was super sleep-deprived, I was like, you know what? Happy birthday to me. And I ordered <laughs> the Pioneer uh, Mono White Weenies list. I had a bunch of the cards already. It, it was it was probably less than 100 bucks for me to order the missing pieces. So uh, local Sweet. game store folks, watch out. I'm coming in hot with a new humans list. All right. Well, let's dive into some of our favorite rares, both chaff and non-chaff. There are some non-chaff cards we're going to talk about. Fair warning. These could be cards we've played against or we've played with or just found really interesting from like a data perspective, this format. Um but we don't get to talk about the rares too often, so we like this sort of episode to get to do that. So, Ben, why don't we just uh, start start off with our list here? We'll go through, and then any discussion that comes up, we'll we'll work through as we get to it. Yeah, uh, let's start with a really fun one. Archfiend of the Dross. Four mana, 6-6 six, six flyer, enters with four oil counters on it. And then this is one that says, at the beginning of your upkeep, you remove an oil counter, and if you can't, you lose. It also has this little bit of text down at the bottom that I didn't really realize was there at first. Uh Whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, its controller loses two life. This card is nuts. It is one of the highest win rates of black rares in the set. There's very few cards that like I actually want to play black for. This is one of them. This is almost unbeatable. Yeah, I'll make a slight tweak to what you said there. Um, it's not if you can't remove token uh, the oil counters. It's if you remove one and then it has no more. Oh, okay. Die. Yeah. You lose the yeah. game. But um, yeah, still just an absolutely absurd card. This is a card that I think most people don't give in the in the early stages of the format but don't give enough credit i know i didn't because anytime i see a card that says you lose the game i default to just not being interested in it until someone proves to me that it's really good i have lost to this card multiple times and it is really good <laughs> <laughs> it turns out it's actually pretty easy to win in three turns or so uh when you have a four mana six six flyer with the massacre worm text on it i didn't realize that the first time i saw it that means all of your kill spells get way better they can't chump your stuff anymore uh and then you can just start slamming with your things and if they even block or even double block profitably their stuff is still dying they're still losing life and they're likely taking six in the air every turn and even if they can jump block this the thing is just going to die 
right? Like <laughs> they're just going to lose. Yeah. And they, they, there are no flyers in the set that come close to dealing with this. There oh, are no. no, no six, six bodies at any other rarity. Like this is it. So yeah, it's pretty hard to kill. And then there's just so much, especially if you're playing black, not that you really like to be playing black, but like there are just ways to proliferate incidentally. I've seen people mm. splash this in like a red green deck that was doing the oil <laughs> thing. And That's you just, nuts. it just works right with Rustvine cultivator and you know, prophetic prisms and whatever, like you can, you can kind of make it yeah. work. That's, that's and, it. and then all you need to do is proliferate like once or maybe twice. And you definitely are winning the game with this thing. Yeah. Uh, worst case scenario, they kill it. Right. And then you don't have to worry yeah. about it. Worst, worst case. All right. There is a worst, worst case scenario. Uh, and that's getting hit by one of the two pacifisms in the set, the white one or the blue one. Uh, if that happens, you know, GG, your opponent got it. You'll lose once on your way to seven wins. Right. Well, and then that also just kind of tells you, like, if you're going to play the Archfiend, say you open this pack one, pick one, maybe prioritize cards that say sack a creature just a little bit higher, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to oh, hedge man. against that sort of thing. There's even the indoctrination attendant, which can bounce your own stuff back yep. to your hand. So I, I've had that happen multiple times where I've pacified one of their things. They just bounce it back to hand and it's like, well, I'm going to lose. <laughs> oh, this that would be sick with this, too. You let it get to like one one oil counter and then you just bounce it back and you read redo the thing yeah get yourself four more turns with it the classic uh demonic pact trick where i mean just have like maybe i mean you're playing black right like you have other kill spells maybe you even use one of your own removal spells on this like very worst case scenario the downside here is just basically non-existent when you just kill them with it instantly so just play this card it's nuts there is sort of a way you could try to fight this thing in some decks and that's with dragon wing glider which is our next rare that we wanted to talk about three red red for the the four mirrodin uh equipment that gives your creatures plus two plus two flying and haste or the equipped creature anyway not all of your creatures um i mean goldspan dragon anybody <laughs> okay so the way this card kind of reads is one of your creatures is goldspan dragon for the rest of the game like at any given time you have a goldspan dragon <laughs> more or less i i guess i mean i think i think that's a little bit of a gap but yeah basically i mean it's basically that uh i had an opponent curve blade graph adds at sprint into this that's Oof. the three drop that makes equipment cost one less this is an equipment they played this on turn four i lost very quickly yeah that thing's a uh that thing is is pretty nasty with this um and giving like anything with menace flying is just gross so yeah uh a small note you can use the white pacifism to stop this. Um, I had an opponent who put the pacifism on my creature and then, I mean, they had kill spells in hand too that they later used. Uh, it might be worth considering using the pacifism on this equipment. Uh, yeah. if, if it's like that point in the game, like you can in, in an emergency uh, because it turns off the equipability. It means that the uh, activated abilities of it can't be activated. It's also why it stops planeswalkers, right? So Consider that I ended up winning a game that I had this because of my opponent, like pacifying the creature rather than the, than the glider and just trying to like kill the creature some other way. Let's talk about Migla's Maze Crusher. This thing is nuts. Uh, it is, I think, what, the number one rare in the set right now by games played? It is. It's currently sitting with a 59.6% games played win rate. Yeah, that's pretty good. And it makes sense because red green is by far the best deck in the format. So good chance that a lot of the red green decks have one of these things in it. So games played, yeah, that'll, that'll have a pretty high win rate. So this is the three mana, one red green. It's a 4-4 four, four beast, Frexing beast. Uh, enters with five oil counters on it. You can pay one and remove an oil counter to give it Vigilance and Menace. Gross combo, by the way. Uh, pairs really well with combat tricks. Uh, you can pay two, remove two, two oil counters on it. 
it gets plus two plus two until the turn. You can pay three, remove three oil counters from Miglaz, destroy an artifact or enchantment. When you get to kill an artifact creature or, or like a pacifism effect with this, it's really good. Yeah, I played against this a handful of times. I've played with it a couple times as well. The uh, That last ability makes some decks feel awful. Um, mm-hmm. I remember playing against this and I was facing up against the board. It might've been the four, three, like lattice blade mantis and this thing. And I was just, I top decked the, one of my pacifisms and I was just like, okay, well, <laughs> that's not going to do anything here. Um, but and, you can enchant it, I guess you, you right? can enchant it. Yeah. The thing is this, this card, I, I feel like this card is supposed to read for all of these abilities, activate only as a sorcery and it just doesn't. Oh yeah. And so like yeah, no. you can do some really annoying things with combat. I mean, it's all very telegraphed because it's right there on the card, but you know, you can have some things in hand that do some proliferating at instant speed and you throw this into the combat zone, give it the vigilance and menace. Now they've got a double block and then suddenly, you know, you proliferate, you can take an extra, uh, you know, use that second ability an extra time and mm-hmm. just give it, uh, give it plus four, plus four or whatever. And, eat up all your opponent's blockers. There, there was actually one time I attacked with this. My opponent just didn't read it. They were tapped out. They just let it through. And I was like, okay, d- double activate. <laughs> You're dead. Uh, yeah. Best to know what all these abilities do, but uh, this is a fun one. Also three mana, four, four, uh, this and the other one, the uh, blighted contaminator, just three mana, four, four in this set. Just given that a lot of the creatures are, tiny and games sometimes go late and get decided by these little dorky things that try to trade off there's mites running around three mana four four is even more ahead of the curve than it usually is uh just stupidly good card we didn't actually see too many of you know in in some sets we see cards that are like a three mana four four no text you know and those end up being like pretty okay in a lot of those formats I think a three just a vanilla three mana four four in this format would be one of the best commons (laughs) All right, on to our next one here, Kaito Dancing Shadow. This is just a really fun card. I, I love how how ninja-y it feels, but one thing I haven't really put enough emphasis into when I deck build with this card is its static ability, right? So the static ability says oh, yeah. whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, you may return one of them to its owner's hand, sort of ninjutsu-esque. And if you do, you can activate loyalty abilities of Kaito twice this turn rather than only once. So, you know, you can play Kaito plus him, uh, you know, lock down a creature, send in an attacker in the air or something, lock down another creature or draw a card for the turn. It's just a lot of extra little value. And it feels like each of his abilities on their own are like kind of meh, you know, they're just okay. They, you know, sure, draw a card or lock down a creature, whatever. Um, When you can use them multiple times a turn, it gets really out of hand really fast. Yeah, uh, I think the, there's not really a wrong way to play this guy. I will say there's a few little combos. Uh, Any evasive flyers, and there's the white one, the uh, the one mana one two vigilance one two you, yeah. You're probably not playing that in this deck, but there's the um, the, the Malkator's Watcher or the Thrumming Bird or the black one, the, the uh, Pestilent Siphoner, Siphoner, I think it's called uh, Persistent Siphoner. Yeah, the Siphoner, whatever that thing is. Um, any of the two mana flyers, just really strong with Kaito. Um, being able to, I would say, usually what you do is you play Kaito, uptick to allow that creature to get in. Maybe you you hit their one flyer, or if you're doing ground stuff, you hit their best blocker. Uh, one of your things does get in. And yet, you don't want to be bouncing three drops or four drops with this that often. I mean, you could bounce one and two drops, which you should be playing a lot of anyway in this format. Uh, you can always bounce a mite if you need to. Those can sometimes get in if they're like blocking or making other trades. But then just upticking and then afterwards ticking down to make sure you get some good value uh, out of Kaito. Yeah, you can just draw a card, but 
really that that two two with that death touch and uh, leaves the battlefield ability that is worth a card. Uh, so if you can and like even even if he dies right after, if you just get that two two, especially against like some of these red green decks where like a little two two death touch that pads your life total, like that's kind of exactly what you want. Yeah, and I when I first read Kaito, I misread his minus ability, and I thought those tokens had to hit the opponent to get the the drain effect. They just need to die, and yeah, they have death yeah. touch, so like they are beautiful little blockers that just kind of sit there and gum up the board and let your opponent kind of figure out how they're going to get through it. Um, I will say it's not traditional flicker, but if you have anything that's more expensive than two and they have good ETB effects, and that kind of gives you a little bit of extra room to work in terms of uh, bouncing them to your hand with Kaito. Speaking of format of Planeswalkers, let's talk about Koth Fire Resistance. Two red red, four loyalty Koth. Uh, the plus two is you search the library for a basic mountain, put it in your hand, shuffle. The minus three is it deals damage to target creature equal to the number of mountains you control. And then there's a minus seven that says whenever a mountain enters the battlefield, uh, it deals four damage to any target. This is a very simple Planeswalker. Uh, that doesn't mean it's bad. And I think we've gotten really accustomed to these super flashy like Elspeths and Vraskas that do this huge thing upticks look at the look at the, the eternal wanderer right upticks to make a 2-2 double strike or zeros whatever it is it, it's it's stupidly good uh Koth has one of the highest win rates for rares in the set and that is because red is good yes and you're already being rewarded for putting a bunch of mountains in your deck just for playing the game that way but Koth being simple and easy to understand doesn't make him bad so the way you usually play koth is uh four mana kill spell right i mean if you are playing a good number of mountains this will usually come down maybe on turn four you probably have two mountains in play right uh and then just ticks down to kill something it goes to one then you tick up go get another mountain you can then tick down to kill something else if you have a slightly more stable board you could uptick first and then tick down and then uptick again uh just four mana for a kill spell that can maybe do something else a later turn, like going and ticking down again. I mean, go and get that mountain. That's not irrelevant either. The red green deck in particular is very okay hitting its fifth and sixth land drops to, to cast some of its like big late game stuff or double spell. Uh, or even if you have the already strong by itself Axiom Engraver, just going and getting more cards to pitch to it to rummage away is pretty good. You'll probably never ult this, but... I've gotten to play with and against Koth a handful of times, and I've been surprisingly impressed. No, it's not flashy. Yes, it is good. Yeah, you don't have to do much convincing to get me to put a Valakut in my deck. So It's something like a Valakut. <laughs> Next up is Blue Sun's Twilight, and tangentially, all the Twilights. Um, the blue one in particular, surprisingly good, given how bad blue is in this set, and probably, I mean, it's a double-pipped blue card, but probably the most desirable splash in the set. Maybe. I splashed this one. <laughs> yeah, like you, you yeah. can do it. It, it kind of works. Um, and it's just an interesting kind of take on the the whole like um, control magic kind of thing where you're taking an opponent's creature. You get the copy of it if it's expensive enough. Where, where are you happy casting this though? Like four? Is that kind of what you're looking at? Uh, Five? Yeah, I've cast it out of desperation a few times. I mean, it's an aggressive format. So something with control magics that always will hurt is that when you take a creature that's tapped, it stays tapped. So this won't right. always be enough to save you. I've had games where I've top-checked this and it hasn't been good because of how aggressive my opponent is. Taking their 4-4 at that point still isn't enough to save me. At that point, you really do want to be able to copy it. So I could see this probably being better in like blue-green than like blue-red. But anything that, that can get to the late game pretty efficiently and cast this is, is going to be happy with it. I, I've been past this card. Uh, like in pack one, just like pack one, pick two, someone took like an uncommon over this. Blue is bad, but it's not 
it's not that bad. Like this is still a very strong card. Uh, I, I wouldn't be that <laughs> down on it to, to pass it if you get the chance to play it. Um, as for the other Twilights, green I haven't loved. Uh, I actually had an opponent whiff on the green one. They cast it for five uh, and they only got a Terramorphic Expanse and nothing else. So th- they paid Oof. six mana for a Terramorphic Expanse. Um, yeah, the, the red one is a sideboard card. It's good if you're playing best of three and you side it in against like a blue white artifacts deck. I did manage to do that once. It was awesome. Uh, white one is busted. It's probably one of the best like cards in the set, What like top 15 or so. Yeah, I was just looking. Green Suns is the worst of the of the Twilights. Um, red is next. Then we have black. Then we have blue, and then we have white. And white is the fifth best, sixth best rare. No, fifth best rare. I can count uh, with games played win rate at fifty seven point seven percent. Sounds about right. If you haven't had this card cast with X equals five against you, it's it's not fair. Uh, just I mean, the fact that it gains five life too. Why does it do that? <laughs> it, does, it doesn't make sense uh you pretty much only cast this for x equals five and then you win the game like in the next turn or two probably the next turn because then your opponent just scoops yeah let's talk about Skrelv and his hive so Skrelv, uh, an upcoming pioneer all-star i think i mean it's a mother of runes effect right Skrelv is great uh, i love this little guy the one mana one one toxic one can't block it's a might you know uh but then you can also pay phyrexian white so that's either one white mana or two life, choose a color and then another target creature you control gains toxic one and hexproof from that color until in the turn and can't be blocked by creatures of that color this turn. Uh, this is an annoying little one drop. This is as good as one drops get in a format where one drops are good. Yeah, um, almost certainly building a scroll of commander deck. Um, <laughs> I just want to see if it'll work. I'm kind of curious why they didn't template this such that it got it gave the creature protection from that color until end of turn. This isn't really far off from that. I mean, I guess it technically isn't the same, but oh, it doesn't work on blocks. You can't like block and then give it protection. Sure. This only works offensively, which I mean, blocking they could just, they could have just made it a sorcery. Yeah. Sp- I don't know. Maybe I'm getting, maybe I'm getting too nitpicky here, but I, we see activate as only as a sorcery so often now that like, I'm kind of, but I guess they just hate putting protection on cards. I don't know. It just feels like this should have been templated as maybe they could have had it only protection. during your turn, but then it loses that hex proof element of it. Fair. Yeah. I guess it's, it's, it's not really a one-to-one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I love this card. It's great. Um, it will act as a lightning bolt or a, a lightning rod for lightning bolts, I guess, uh, because you can't really kill anything else they have while this is on the field. Yeah. You'll make them pay life, but I mean, you'll just have to kill this at some point first. So what this does, you play it on turn one, it gets in for one or two poison counters before they can reasonably do anything about it. And then once it gets outclassed on the board, it just sits back and starts giving your stuff functionally all hexproof until they kill this. And then they're spending maybe their rebel salvo or like a good fight spell on their your one mana one one instead of your actual threats that are still getting in for damage. Just really good, really strong card. Yeah, and then, I mean... Not quite equally as strong, but they are right next to each other in terms of gameplay win rate. Uh, Skrelv's Hive, right? So you curve your Skrelv into into Skrelv's Hive. Really strong card. It's one of those like inevitable sort of things. You're just like kind of like um, a card we're going to talk about in a little while uh, that I won't name just yet. But it's it's one of those uh, those types of cards that's just an inevitability that when you see your opponent play it, you're like, okay. Um, I need to deal with that thing or my opponent needs to die because otherwise I'm dying for sure. And once they can get the corrupted thing online and give all of their toxic creatures lifelink, like that's just nuts and a really great way to turn games around in this format, given how aggressive it is. Mm -hmm. 
and it's a nice little upside for its own downside, which is that it pings you every turn. But I have seen enough people die to this by like someone swinging in, leaving them at one, and then they're just saying, "Okay, go." Yeah. Um, that it's it's sort of a catch twenty two. This card, you 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 have to be careful when you play it and how long you let it stick around. Yeah, if you're playing this in a white deck with no other toxic creatures where you're going to have trouble getting corrupted uh this might be a problem like you need to make sure you can corrupt your opponent for this to be good uh for for this to be great it's always pretty good it's always pretty solid but i don't know if you're playing this in some i don't know like a like a like a white red deck that's mostly artifact and like equipment stuff going on you might find yourself losing to this faster than you than you're comfortable with because yeah it's an aggressive set you can't take five damage and not and not do anything you can't give yourself like you uh, starting at a quarter less life total it's opponents will be able to take advantage of that i've taken advantage of people for having played that way um you know not watching their life total so yeah uh, and like i factor that into my gameplay decisions the fact that they have an active scrubs hive and they're not actively trying to get corrupted uh, that has changed the way i played and it has helped me beat those people easy so uh, just be careful this one this is sort of and we've seen this with a handful of rares at least some folks in the discord have definitely mentioned it there are quite a few cards in the set that are technically not gold cards but really feel like they're supposed to be and i think this is kind of one of them it, it feels like it's supposed to be a green-white card. That said, there are combos in other colors with it. Eye of Malkator is one that comes to mind where you can turn on your Eye of Malkator on every turn, which is great. Um, but this really does feel like it's supposed to be a, a green-white card to me. Yeah, I mean, it's just along that that corrupted slash toxic vector. Uh, I mean, you can also consider like an overrun to, to pair with this or... I love it with Mandible just this year that that's another cool combo. Yeah, I guess you could also argue this is just a black-white card. Um given that's the whole corrupted thing. But let's talk about Nahiri the Unforgiving. Bit of a hot take here. I've seen people pretty low on this. And to be honest, the data doesn't look good for her either. Uh, There's no one knows how to play with her. I'm not going to come out and say everyone's like not good enough at magic. Everyone has too much of a skill issue to understand Nahiri. I'm just salty that she got completed. You know, I love Nahiri. I, but my red, white artifact, babe, got corrupted. What am I supposed to do now? <laughs> like... I'm just like picturing Soren sitting back eating a thing, like eating some popcorn and being like, ha. <laughs> oh man, I, I'm sure we're going to see some Phyrexians popping up on Innistrad. Like there, there's 0% chance we don't get a, like a Phyrexian werewolf or something or like Phyrexian vampires. Uh, anywho, Nahiri the Unforgiving, one red, white hybrid and that's completed. So uh, you can pay this for uh, three or four. Uh, she has five loyalty or three if you paid with life. Her plus one. Until next turn, up to one target creature attacks a player each combat if able. Her other plus one. Discard a card, then draw a card. Her zero. Exile target creature or equipment card with mana value less than her loyalty from your graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of it. That token gains haste. Exile it at the beginning of the next end step. This card is so much deeper than it looks just by, by, by reading it the first go around. It took actually playing with this in a medium red-white deck for me to see, oh, this is the best card in my deck by far. Uh, so that, that uptick, it doesn't look like it, but that actually means that that creature can't attack Nahiri. So you can use that to either force their two, two to ram into your three, three, or you can just force things off of attacking Nahiri as long as you need to. And let's be honest, you're playing red, white. You, you probably don't care about your life total that much. Um, you don't care if their three, three hits you for a few turns to protect Nahiri, give you time to build out the board if you need to. So that's kind of like... Uh, I'm not going to say it's like a Jace uptick that like 
you know, minus three minus O's, uh, their thing. But it's actually pretty similar. <laughs> now, her other one, uh, the plus one, discard a card, then draw a card. Uh, this doesn't make you discard. If you have no cards in hand, this just draws you a card. And if you're playing red-white, there is a part in the game where you will have no cards in hand. So this can also be used to rummage away things if you have the extra cards. Uh, this can also be used to set up her zero ability, which is really interesting. So what you can do is, uh, first of all, just the, the turn you cast her, bring back something from the graveyard. Say you had a, I don't know, uh, the, the Furnace Strider, right? If you cast her for four, they already killed your Furnace Strider. You just zero, get back the Strider, and go. Like, if they die that turn, that's it. Doesn't matter. Uh, it gets exiled after that. But it's red white. You probably had some stuff trade off in the mid game or, or early game. Uh, you can also bring back equipment. The joke here is that you can bring back a Vermeerden equipment and then it brings a new token in. The token doesn't get haste. The equipment does. That's kind of silly. You can attach the equipment to something else. Uh, I, I'll just say some of the most fun and thought provoking gameplay I've had in Limited in ages was in a red-white mirror match where I had an Ahiri and they didn't. And just like the, the tightness of that game was awesome. Uh, if you haven't tried Nahiri, try it. Next up, Urabrask's Forge. This is a favorite of both Ben and myself. Yeah. It's the two red rare artifact that just pumps out freaking Phyrexian horror creatures. I first misread this card, and originally I thought that this created X-1-1 creatures with haste. Mm. It wasn't until an opponent played it against me that I realized... Oh, no, it just makes increasingly taller creatures that also have trample. <laughs> yeah, you don't notice the trample until it's at like three or four power. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> right. Well, and the, and the other thing is in this particular format, you know, this in, in most formats, this would be a card that ticks up by one every turn. And you've got like maybe three or four turns before it really starts to get out of hand. In this format, it gets one oil counter on it the turn after you play it, or actually the turn you play it, if you play it correctly. And then you just proliferate twice, and suddenly in two turns, you're dealing with like a four or five mana, uh, five power creature that you've got a like a real problem with. It doesn't take long for this thing to steamroll you. It's also a great combo with the, the red, it's like the oil fountain. I always forget what it's called, but it's the one that puts oil yeah. on something every turn. Uh, I actually also misread this card when I first read it. I thought it made an artifact token. And I was, I was thinking, actually, in that very draft we looked at before, I was like, oh, man, this is so sweet with the mandible justiciers. Like, I'm going to get, like, a free token every turn to turn those on. It does look like it should make an artifact token, doesn't it? Like, everything about it looks like it, the token should be an artifact. I don't know. Look at those dudes. Those are clearly artifact creatures, right? They do look like it, but everything Phyrexian looks like an artifact. Yeah. Also, are those... Isn't that, like, a, a Slash Panther? Wasn't What's that thing called? It's, like, the old yep. one from old Phyrexia. That, yep, that, Slash Those Panther. things on the art. Those look like Slash Panthers, right? They sure do. Uh, yeah, cool, cool card. Let's talk about one of my favorites, if not my favorite card from the set, Phyrexian Vindicator. White, 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 5-5 five, five flying at Mythic. If damage would be dealt to it, prevent that damage. When damage is prevented this way, Phyrexian Vindicator deals that much damage to any other target. Uh, <laughs> my favorite part about resolving this is that opponents usually go nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when someone lands this you got to admit it they've earned it you know like you don't just get to put this in a deck for free but i've gotten to play with this card twice now once in pre-release and once in a draft uh it's been awesome both times just super cool basically the only way to kill it is with hard removal and exile or like a pacifism but even then it can still be dangerous uh it's also a four mana five five flyer and it's mono white uh, you just can't attack into it Right. You can't attack into it. You can't attack through it. You can't attack around it. And you certainly can't block it. So it's 
it is a worthy payoff for for putting 10 planes into your deck yeah for sure and also just fun sort of little side note with this card it, at pre-release we opened like five of these things <laughs> not in our pool not in our pool but between the pool and prize packs we opened i think five of them yeah i, I will say uh, this is a good follow-up in the phyrexian blank cycle i saw this spoiled as part of the uh the, the jumpstart or no, the alchemy set as part of the alchemy set, they spoiled a red one instead of obliterator or vindicator. It's some red, 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 red thing. It's a five, five. It is the same damage prevention ability. It was lame. It was like prevent that damage and then exile that many cards from your library and you can play them till the next turn. It was one of those things that like, or maybe like seek that many. It was some stupid alchemy thing that didn't have to be an alchemy thing. I don't know how many more sets they've got in them before they just stop doing these new alchemy cards for every set. I don't know. All right, no, no shade if you're the ones that these are for, you know, if you're stoked by these alchemy cards, but these are not for me. And they're not doing anything for me every time I see that they're they're like, oh, by the way, two weeks after the set comes out, don't forget new alchemy cards. I, I do not care. <laughs> do not make me look at these things. I don't want to see them. And if that's what prevents like an actual red version of this Phyrexian cycle from being made sometime down the line, because let's be real, they're going to beat the Phyrexians, but the Phyrexians are going to come back in 20 years. Uh Hopefully we get to see a real red, green, uh, and blue one at some point down the line. And last but not least here in our, well, fun ones to talk about is Drivnod and the, the Domini uh, overall. I wanted to shout out Drivnod because uh, I, I made a comment in Discord after having played with this one. I've only played with this one, the blue one, and the green one. Haven't gotten the white or red ones. Uh, I guess people don't really pass those that often. Drivnod, the comment I made in Discord was that it's, it's more cool than good. You know, it's a five mana eight. Three. Not with a name like Drivnod. It's not. It's like the most lame name ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, this thing is gnarly. Like, look at that art. It is definitely a Phyrexian horror. In, in one of the side stories for this set, uh, Ixel made by Atraxa, made by, uh, by Elishnorn. Uh, Ixel is like, she's like trying to splice together a creation of her own. It's a cool side story. A uh, little spoiler alert for our uh, Flavor Town episode. But Ixel, she's like trying to break a bunch of Phyrexians up. And she's like, man, this is hard. Oh, I know what I'll do. She picks them up and just throws them at Drivnod to, to like <laughs> shatter and like split them apart. Because I don't know whatever this thing is made of. It's like spikes and anger. So like Drivnod wasn't, it didn't even notice because it's massive. Uh, but Ixel just like smacked stuff against it until it like <laughs> broke into pieces. So that, that was kind of cool. Uh I, yeah, this one this one's good. I found that it's uh it's indestructible counter ability is easier to achieve than the rest of them. That being said, I don't actually think any of their indestructible counter abilities are ever that good. Uh they can be responded to with instance pretty easily, especially this one. Like paying all that life at instant speed and then getting blown up by like a volt charge would feel really bad. I did have Drivnod die to volt charge a few times, which was pretty bad. Uh, but then again, it, sometimes you're just in the market for like a big splashy thing. The blue one is good too, Tekathal. Um, that was by far the best card in my PTQ sealed deck. It was unfortunately in blue. Uh, and the green one, if you can ramp into it, if you can put in some work, if you're playing red, green and have like three ramp things, like maybe the scrap thing or the, uh, the, the vine guy, a bunch of those, you can ramp into it. And then that thing does win the game on the spot. Drivnod, I think, is probably the worst of them. The red and white ones are pretty good, too, though. All right, on to some total junk here. Um, <laughs> I I don't even know where to start. I guess we'll start with the lands. There are a lot of rare lands in this format, like a lot of rare lands. And mm -hmm. surprisingly, I will throw this out here. 
when I was looking at the data, Merrick's and the Seed Core are better than a lot of cards that I thought were way better than these lands. Like Rhea Evor and Venerated Rot Priest. And what the heck? Uh, better than Rhea like, Evor? Yeah. I mean, when we were looking at games played win rate, they are. Weird. And I just don't understand how Kaito, like, I don't understand how Mirix and the Seed Core are better than these cards. I must have been way lower on these cards than I should have been. Is there something we're missing in the data here? Like, I don't know. The, Mirix and the Seed well, Core. So Mirix is the one that makes mites, right? And Seed yeah. Core is the one that, that pumps things plus one, plus two. If they're corrupted, if I remember right. Plus two, plus one. Two, and one. Yeah. Tar- but, but it only pumps one ones. And is that only if they're corrupted, right? Correct. It's Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Weird. I mean, maybe it's just because more decks can play them. Uh, I'm not um, convinced. Maybe we're missing something data-wise here. If you're listening and, and you know what we're missing, just let us know in Discord. But yeah, I, I can't really fathom a way that that be... I mean, games played for Kaito. The average blue-black deck is not that good, right? But Venerated right. Rot Priest, that, that card is a house. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe it could have to be with the fact that you're only really playing Mirix in a deck that... Like, you're probably only playing Mirix in the Toxic decks, just to just to have yeah. extra ways to make mites, and those decks are already very good. And the seed core, I think we talked about this before, but the seed core is a is a perfect fixer for like ninety nine percent of decks because there are mm, yeah that's true. I think I think ten or less non Phyrexian creatures in the set. So seventeen so, lands users just take it highly because they're smart and know that it's good fixing. Could be yeah. I don't even know if you, you take it for the corrupted hmm. uh, ability really, but. Um, I don't know. Neither here nor there. There are just a lot of rare lands. I think that's probably a, a, a notch against this set. Um, mm-hmm. I was happy to get yeah. the the fast lands reprinted. Like it's always good to see those. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just felt bad to. I mean, you basically never first pick these lands. Oh yeah, no. Uh, you know what else is even worse than that? How about a Mirin safe house? The three mana artifact that yeah. gives it all the uh, lands abilities of things in graveyards. Uh, yeah, really, really rough one to open at the PTQ. <laughs> Uh, absolute junk. Mind Splice Apparatus, seen this cast. Uh, unplayable, not good. Monument to Perfection. Maybe at some point in the format you could achievement hunt with this, but you'd have to get lucky to even be able to activate this once and not just die immediately. Yeah. Tablet of Completion, kind of junk too. I mean, it's a two-mana rock that you have to wait five turns before it can draw cards. Uh, I've beaten this enough times to think that it's not that good and I've never played it, so... No, thanks. So Conduit of Worlds also just kind of meh. There's not really a need to play lands from Graveyard. I guess it lets you replay the the like spheres, you know, if you sack them for cart. Like, sure, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, it's just kind of meh. I guess you can cast spells for free, but you only get to do it once and like once per turn and you just like brick your own turn. <laughs> I was more upset about this card that they didn't they didn't actually print a Realm Breaker. Like, why is it called Conduit of Worlds? Yeah, maybe maybe that's coming next set. I don't know. This this one's weird. So actually, I, I've had I saw an opponent who uh, they had six mana. They they were top decking right. They top deck this. They they slam it down. They immediately tap it. They pick a, a two mana creature in their graveyard. They're like, oh boy, I get to like get back this two drop. This is sick. Uh, it says if you haven't cast a spell this turn, you may cast that. Yeah, card. it doesn't work. I killed them on the crack bag. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and uh, they were clearly uh, learning things about this card as I was learning. I expected another cast it. I didn't realize that would work that way. Uh, but no, it, they, they died. Yeah. Yeesh. Speaking of things that kill your own stuff, how about Geth Thane of Contracts? This is a commander, right? I don't even know if it's good in co- like what is happening here. 
So they didn't talk about this in the story, but Geth is clearly someone who wishes that they were a member of the broker's family. And he just, I guess he's just not good enough at signing contracts or something because he's, he's black. He's <laughs> oh, not in the right he, colors. He's a few cents late for, for, for the Yeah. Brokers. Like, like he, he wishes he was there, but not, not quite. Actually in the story, they did say some things about Geth. I assume this is like an old character from magic that maybe I'm not familiar with, but from the story, it sounds like the Phyrexians completed everything except his head, which they left untouched, but also yeah. he's a zombie. I don't really know what's happening with Geth. Do not play this card. It is bad. Geth honestly reminds me of the um, the stupid spider baby thing from Toy Story. You know what I'm talking about? The little metal like oh, crawly ew, thing with the head? Yeah. That's Geth. Yeah, I do. That's Geth. Speaking of creepy things, encroaching mycosynth. This is bad. <laughs> this might be <laughs> one of the worst ones to open and, and and just see. This and Mirren Safe House are up there for me. It's not even like it's a creature. There's not even like an inkling of hope. It's a. It's not just a bad card. It's a bad blue card. Utterly useless. Do not play it. Yeah, next up is Norn's Wellspring. Uh, I think we opened one of these in our pre-release and then right after that in our live draft and weren't happy with it in any of those settings. So yeah. it feels like this is supposed to be good. Maybe it's just way too an aggressive a format for this. Um, I think it is. Yeah. I mean, let's yeah, say this. Because you're like never really blocking in white, you know? So like your stuff's only dying if they're pointing removal at it. And yeah, you're not really going to be doing the the proliferating thing in white too often either. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it just feels we- weirdly placed. I mean, we played mono white at the pre-release, a color that was fiending for card draw and cut this. Right. <laughs> like this, this just doesn't really fit the vector of, of what the set is trying to do. And last but not least, uh, this one's emblematic of a lot of the rares in the set. Uh, Keset Crucible Goliath. Two black red for a 4-4 that lets you sack things at your end step to uh, flip until you get a non-legendary thing that costs less. <sighs> there are so many, I think what LR called it was were like Cs. There are rare Cs in this set, and this is one of them. Uh, I think the Rat, the, the, the Rat King is one of them too. There's just rares that you would not take they're not unplayable. They're not like total trash, but they're just not good and they're not exciting. And I would take an evolving adaptive over this every single time. Oh yeah. Hands down. So there's a lot of junk in this set, but maybe that makes the set a little less play, uh, less fun to play for you. That's okay. That's understandable. Not every set is chock full of like fun rares. Uh, I have been looking at this from a slightly more productive angle. I've been trying to think of it as a good skill tester, right? Kind of like bro. Bro also had a bunch of junk rares. Um, it's a good skill test for building rareless vector-based decks. Uh, and yeah, maybe it feels even worse when someone drops the Wanderer or Thrun or has like, in the game that I played a while back, multiple Rhea Evors against you. Uh, but then you kind of just have to look at it on the flip side and say, every once in a while, you will also open those cards and you will be the one that dunks on them with Thrun or the Wandering Emperor or something. So uh, I don't know. I, I don't think these rares are the, the worst set of things ever. It's just not that fun. You know, I think because of that and the the fun that's derived from rares, I'm probably going to not play this set as much as I did bro. I'm still enjoying it. I'm still having fun. Uh, I'm still going to keep playing for a little while longer. But if a good flashback thing comes up, like I'm pretty sure Shadows of Innistrad remastered is our next set we're getting on online. Uh, our next like supplemental one we're getting on Arena. Uh, I will swap to that in a heartbeat. Yeah, uh, we do get Strixhaven on Premier Draft for a little bit before we get Shadows. Really? So. When is that? Uh, sometime either this week or next, I think. Yeah. 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 I'll probably do that. (laughs) I'll probably do that instead. Um, 
I think the biggest problem with this set in terms of like the feels bad stuff is actually that there is such a gap between the floor and the ceiling. There are so mm. many, there, are, there aren't really that many like bomb br- busted rares or mythics. There are a f- a f- enough. There are quite a, there are like a handful of them, but there are also just such terrible rares. Yeah. So there's just a big gap between the two and it feels really awful when you're the one who opened Mycosynth lattice and are the, uh, what was it? The, um, the encroaching Mike, Mike, Yeah. And your opponent opened the wanderer. Like you're just like, oh, okay, <laughs> come on. Like that it's feels really bad. Statistics at that point. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of other sets that are less, um, I don't even know if I would call this a Prince format, but, uh, there are other sets where like there are some bomb rares, but then everything else is just flat. Like there are just good rares. There aren't really any terrible ones. And, uh, those feel a little bit less bad to me. All right. That does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening again. Check out the discord. If you haven't already, the link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. If you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. And if you'd like to find us outside of the discord, you can find us on Twitter at draft chaff pod. Thanks folks. And we'll talk to you next week. So before we go, there's a few spoilers that came out for March of the Machine. And yeah, I know, like, incessant spoiler season, but these ones earned it. Like, these are are pretty spoilers. (laughs) It is very rare that you actually get us excited about, like, an upcoming set this far ahead, especially when we're still... We've had had Mom for, what, like, two weeks, maybe? Uh, One, Uh, yeah. So... I don't know. It, it, it takes a lot to get me to, to look away from this while there's still a whole format to chew on. But um, you want to tell us about Helia the Radiant Dawn real quick? Yeah, there are a few things I want to tell you about. Um, we'll start with, with Heliod. Heliod the Radiant, Radiant Dawn is two white white for a 4-4 four, four legendary enchantment creature god at rare. When he enters the battlefield, return target enchantment card that isn't a god from your graveyard to your hand. And then you can pay three and blue Phyrexian to transform him. Only as a sorcery. They got they got Heliod. They got Heliod. And uh, they did lore, like, they, they, they explained this lore-wise. Uh, apparently, to complete uh, a Theros god, you have to complete all of his worshippers. Yeah, the flavor because, text really says it best. It's, oh, man. The flavor text is complete the faith, complete the god by Johnny Goldmane himself, so... There and then uh, don't forget the flavor text of the back, right? Then it's uh, complete the god, complete the plane. Yeah, and and the back half once he's been completed and you you get to do that. Um, he's a four six. You may cast spells as though they had flash, and spells you cast cost one less to cast for each card your opponents have drawn this turn. Uh, that's that's uh, sounds good. That's pretty good. That's a very you card. <laughs> I gotta say, sure is, sure is. Doesn't feel very Heliod. Also, doesn't feel very Phyrexian, but. I mean, it's cool. I wonder how the Phyrexians decide, like, like clearly Jingataxis got Heliod's worshippers here. But, oh, like, yeah, how do they decide, oh, I'm going after that god. You're, you keep your people away from my, from the people I'm trying to, like, how many, yeah. is, is there, like, a percentage thing here where, like, if Jin, Jin if, like, Gataxian Phyrexians complete, like, 51% of Heliod's worshippers, <laughs> then it, that, that's how he gets got, like. I don't, I don't know. I mean, and this is, this is fascinating, too, because, like, this means that he's also I mean, we knew that he was super subject to the whims of his of his worshippers. But I wonder if this is true for all the other gods on on Theros. Yeah. Like, I'm interested to see how many of each like this is a rare as well. So like, I'm curious to see how many of each planes icons we see get completed. Right. Um, I mean, Heliod is obviously a great choice. This guy was a jerk anyway, right? Like th- this guy yeah. killed Elspeth. This guy was not a, a cool god. He was one of the the, the I mean, cool mono white villains that we've had in, in the magic lore. 
uh, and that doesn't come around too often. Now he's a blue-white, presumably villain. I mean, that backside does not look kind to. <laughs> Phyrexian God yeah. is not a is not a uh, a type line I thought I'd ever see, but it's yeah, pretty sweet. Doesn't seem very beatable, uh, flavor-wise, lore-wise. Um, didn't really know Notably, how to come back from that. Yeah, notably though, I think this is the first time we've seen the gods printed or like any god printed without some form of indestructible. Oh like, yeah. I can't be I can't die kind of effect. Yeah, this is a god that can die, which might bode something about how the set shakes out. I don't know. Um I, I want to shout out the card uh Moment of Truth. This is the one of the blue instant. Uh, it's a common from the set. Interesting one for them to spoil, but it's a story spotlight. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one into your hand, one on graveyard, one on the bottom. This is just telling time, right? Yeah, I mean, it's we've seen tons of these effects. It's similar to Anticipate. Um, I guess it is just telling time. Um, probably but what's really cool uh, is that it, the flavor text here and, and the, the art is gorgeous. Uh, it's Elspeth with these feathers falling around her. Mm. It is Elspeth, right? I was oh, I yeah. was going to talk to you about that. I wasn't positive. Yeah, yeah. But. So last we heard about Elspeth, she planeswalked with the Silex mid-explosion, maybe into the blind eternities themselves or to another unknown plane. This honestly looks like she went to some sort of nether space. Uh, it looks a little Therosian, but also I don't know what this pathway that's crumbling is. It says on the precipice of eternity, Elspeth made a choice. The fight would not end without her. And we see feathers falling. Now, there's long been this theory that Elspeth is secretly an angel. We think that Nuka Penna is her home plane. She heard angelic like song that Giada heard that no one else could hear, uh, that it seemed like only angels could hear, or maybe she's like half angel or something. But Elspeth has always been one of my favorite planeswalkers. And I'm I'm excited for her like Elspeth from the top ropes moment where she like slams back down to just wipe the Phyrexians. I don't care how busted her card is. I want to see like maybe like a three mana Gideon esque planeswalker that turns into like a five, five Bane Slayer or something. I want something busted and mono white and playable like that. I, I want to see something good here and something that just really messes up the Phyrexians. Well, speaking of cards you like, there's another one that I know you were just absolutely giddy about. <laughs> It's so stupid, dude. Uh, Thalia and the Gitrog monster. You take two of my favorite creatures. To, like, I have a Gitrog commander deck on, on Arena that I've been like thinking about trying to figure out how to order in person, but never felt quite right. I've always loved Thalia. It's the only secret layer I've ever bought, and I'm playing all of my secret layer ones in my, my new White Weenies deck. Uh, this is Thalia riding the Gitrog monster. And yeah, it's goofy. It's campy. The, the Gitrog loses a little bit of its, honestly, if you remember the story, horrific appeal. That thing is terrifying. It looks a little campy in this type of lighting and wearing a little suit of armor. It's a frog horror, whatever. But this thing was like a literal hypnosis demon that, that made a yeah. whole town sacrifice itself to it. The story was sick. Uh, so a little disappointed to see that kind of veil of, uh, I don't know, mystery lifted. But I don't care. This is a format of 4-4 four, four first strike death touch. You can play an additional land of each of your turns. Creatures and non-basics your opponents control enter tapped, and when it attacks, sack a creature or land, then draw a card. I don't know what to say. I, yeah, I, they, just, they literally just again. smashed Thalia and get Rock yeah. Monster. It's also yeah. got Siege Rhino mana. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a mid-range player again. Friendship ended with Boros. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> I'm dusting off my Siege Rhinos, my my Grim Flares. <laughs> For uh, the... So uh, sign me up. For the listener, this is kind of how they're dealing with um, bringing in extra legends. This set without printing extra cards. 
Um, they've just smashed a bunch of them together. We got Slimefoot and Squee, which I'm super excited about. Like, yeah, that one's cool. That's just fun. Um, I'm curious to see how many of these we get and uh, just how crazy they are. We've seen a few that are pretty <laughs> oh, ridiculous. They they have gone nuts. I mean, they, they put a, what is it? Maverin Fane and uh, Galta. It's like a, it's like a yeah. seven mana, 12, 12 that makes a million tokens. But the well, real one, the, yeah, the real one we got to talk about. Can I interest you in a six mana 18, six? <laughs> With Yargle, possibly the, the best Yargle and Multani. Yeah. So yeah. Yargle and Multani, this is, three black black green for an 18-6 legendary creature frog spirit so ele- elemental at rare no other text besides flavor text <laughs> and frankly it all it needed was the flavor text because the flavor text says i've heard much about you from my daughter multani ram rumbled there was a time when i'd balk at your aid phantom but she has shown me the merit in erberg's strange ways replied <laughs> yargle <laughs> it's so stupid and notably uh, this will be the only vanilla creature in standard. Oh, wow. There are, there are, there's not a single other vanilla creature in standard. Assuming uh, no other ones get printed in this one. set, I guess. Yeah. And honestly, how could they given this? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't Who Who cares what, what's going on here? This is obviously <laughs> sick. It's an 18, six, 18, yeah. six, like it's the biggest, you, biggest, pa- most power on a creature they've ever printed. Yeah. More powerful than ever. Cool. I don't even know. Uh, speaking of power, let's let's end with one more. Uh, Jingataxius. Now, this is a new type of flip planeswalk or flip saga that they're doing for the Praetors, presumably because this is probably the last time we're going to see them for a while. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if not all the Praetors make it out alive. We've got just Jingataxius, straight up, no other words. So this might be what they would consider the most uh, emblematic version of Jingataxius there is. Three blue blue, it's a legend, it's a Phyrexian Praetor Mythic, it's got word two, it's a five five. Five five word two for five, already solid. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell with mana value three or greater, draw a card. That's pretty good. I mean, that that triggers on a lot of counter spells, uh, a lot of kill spells. It'll be good limited for sure. But then there's this other funny thing that says pay four, exile it, and return it to battlefield transformed under its owner's control. Activate only as a sorcery and only if you have seven or more cards in hand. You got to have a lot of cards in hand for this. I mean, on turn five in limited, you're usually down to like two, three, four, depending on your curve. So you're going to have to trigger that thing a bunch or just stockpile. So this ability might not be the most relevant in limited, but if you get to do it, you're going to win pretty easily. Uh, the back saga says the great synthesis. Draw cards equal to the number of cards in your hand. You have no maximum hand size for as long as you control the Great Synthesis. Uh, it was seven to flip. So you have at least drawn seven cards off of this. Yep. Then it says, no, chapter two, return all non-Phyrexian creatures to their owner's hands. Now you have like 18 cards in your hand because maybe a few things got bounced or uh, all of your opponent's stuff is gone. And then it says you may cast any number of spells from your hand without paying their mana costs for chapter three. Then you exile it and then return it to the battlefield face up. So then Jingataxius comes back. So you dump all like 15 cards left in your hand. I, I don't. Yeah, this is not bonkers. even close. It's to, super to slow. Super, super slow. That's true. And yeah. notably, Jingataxius's uh, passive ability, we'll say, doesn't actually help you get to activating him because you have to cast something to draw to get the trigger to draw the card. So you're you're not you're oh, net that's zero. Interesting. Yeah. So, so you, you have abs- to draw. You have to be naturally that exactly. Man. You have, to, well, you have to be casting cards right? that draw cards. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you really want to be casting um, 
but you can't even cast cantrips on it because it, th- it cares about the mana value. And most cantrips are less than three mana value. Yeah, so like divination for this, I guess. Yeah, this is going to be interesting to see how it plays out, but you're going to have to work to get that ability. You're not just going to be handed it by his passive ability. Yeah, th- these are some wild cards. Uh, I'm honestly pretty excited to see more. I cannot wait for new Elspeth. The new Chandra we got is sick. Uh, she's clearly not happy about her girlfriend getting <laughs> completed. <laughs> so uh, both arts, uh, you might notice she, she's crying in, which, oh man, I, yeah, that, that that's rough, Chandra. <laughs> One thing I want to say real quick before we close here, take a look at the uh, the set the the card set number. That's four digits. It's four digits, and it doesn't have a maximum. Like most time, most of the time, we see like three digits slash, and then the the total number in the set. Huh. We don't see that here, and this is the first time I'm aware of seeing four digits. We can't actually be getting a thousand cards in this set, can we? Even with alternate printings, even if like the the aftermath right the the, the epilogue the, the, the multiverse that, legends and set. the aftermath yeah even if all that's the same set it can't no it, it can't be they, a thousand there can't be 